I love that song. Unless you're a unless you're a Millwall fan or something, I think any soccer fan legally has to like that song. It's one of those ones, isn't it, where like unless you're an absolute like hater of Liverpool as well, for example, like you can't deny that you'll never walk alone is like a rousing song and I think uh, yeah forever blowing bubbles is definitely in that category as well it's one of those ones where you really wouldn't mind if it was your own club's anthem would you no not at all and I mean the, the difference is with Liverpool they kind of beat you over the head with you'll never walk alone with West Ham I mean it's just they just sing it and it's not like on the crest it's not a you know it's, there's no motivational sign saying i'm forever blowing bubbles but uh, for those of you who don't know that is the wonderful anthem of west ham united and uh while we might one day talk about the new stadium the london stadium we want to remember raise a glass to the Bowling Ground, Upton Park, the once and not future home of, of West Ham United. But man, I love that place. Dan, what are you drinking today, first of all? Well, you, you, you're already raising the glass. Tell us what you're drinking first. Okay, Furnace Room Brewery out of Georgetown, Halton Hills, Ontario. Uh, Coyote Lookout Dark Lager. So uh, it's, it's a dark, but it's not like my heavier dark. So uh, it is getting on summer, so... Cheers. Yeah, yeah, well, we're recording during the day here, so I was careful to, and I'm on parenting solo today, so I was careful to get a light one. So I've gone for Sons of Kent, who are out of uh, Chatham, Ontario. I've had, the, I think I've drunk their juice box on this podcast before, which was an excellent beer. But this is a uh, raspberry wheat called Berry White, which, uh, respect for that name. Uh, just a hey. nice 4%, 4% raspberry wheat. Um, I had a little sip, my missus had one last night, and it was very, very light, very drinkable. And it's a very pretty colour here, Gav. You'll see it now. Look at that. Ooh, hey? that's it. That is. It's a very, it's a raspberry kind of colour. Or maybe even strawberry. Mm-hmm. But it's a really, like, it's not, because sometimes you get, you know, you, you kind of get concerned it's going to be too sweet or it's, or it's going to be, like, too much, look, like a sour maybe if it gets a bit overboard on the raspberry. But, no, this is a really, really nice, subtle daytime drinker for sure. It almost looks like a big glass of jam. Mm-hmm. I probably would drink a big glass of jam as well. <laughs> now, uh, Upton Park, or the, the Bolin Ground, I believe named after Anne Boleyn, um, uh, last hosted West Ham United in 2016 before they moved to the Olympic Stadium, which is a real big shame in my mind. But, Dan, you went there first. So uh, when when did you go and who played? So I went... Um, you know, it's a long time ago now. We know we're digging back into 2008 for me, January 2008. Um, it was... a uh, Man City away game, uh, FA Cup third round, um, and it was. I think it was one I was badgering my dad about for ages, just saying, "Let's go, let's go, let's go." Like, you know, and it's great, good timing because I was back from um, university, um, you know, after Christmas, so I was on at him. So, so we went, and you know, I don't know if many people who haven't been to the UK are clued into this, or maybe some people who have been to the UK aren't clued into it. But you know, you can take your own beer on the train and have a drink. And I think it's, um, I, th- I think it's wonderful. And I obviously would, but like I think it's just like, it kind of makes the whole train journey a bit more of an event. And and you know you you'll get like people you know like if they're going to a gig they'll crack a couple of cans. If they're going out to, you know if they're getting the you know if I was going out with my mates you know jumping on the kind of countryside train into Shrewsbury we would have a can on the train and stuff like that. And it's just like one of those things. And you know especially when you go into the football, you know people are at it from eight in the morning um and while it can 
you know, kind of produce some kind of not so pretty sights on the train. It is all in all a really enjoyable experience. And like you know, we have I'm pretty sure we changed changed trains in Birmingham, and it was great because when you change trains, you can see across a couple of platforms and see like a load of like random shirts. Like you'll see like a load of Cambridge United shirts or something like that. And it's and it's just like the other fans who are travelling to another three p.m. kickoff on that day, and it's. It's kind of fun to have the banter between platforms and stuff, and so you know, and especially in a way day going somewhere like Upton Park, somewhere that was just so unbe- unbelievably iconic. It was one that I was really, really excited for, and it just, you know, ticked every box for me. Uh, so I'm I'm just going to jump in and point out if you mentioned public drinking to a Toronto City Councilor, I believe their head explodes. Because <laughs> they, they recently, voted, all, they recently voted against drinking in parks because, you know, we're children, apparently, and, and the world will end if we... But that's a whole other story. Uh, sorry, you were saying. Well, no, no. So, well, what's shocking as well about the drinking in parks in Toronto is you're not allowed to do it, which is a bit harsh. But then on top of that, they close the toilets, don't they? So, like, the people who are breaking the rules just go and, like, piss wherever. Yeah. It's a shocking, shocking problem. But anyway... We're on to Toronto politics now, and that's a, a really, really, really. We're deep already wormhole. niche enough, Dan. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, Upton Park. Um, you know, peculiarly, you actually get off at the East Ham station on the tube, um, and it was just, um, just a proper community ground. I mean, what what I what I would call a proper ground, where it's just spat bang in the middle of this neighbourhood. It's just like, it is exactly what it is. It feels like a community club. I mean, it could just be a town hall or, you know, a village hall or whatever you want to call it because it just, it doesn't look out of place. It looks like it should be there. Um, it had a um, a church, a, a Catholic church right by, right beside it. Um, apparently, Slavin Bilic used to do, go to Mass there before matches. I've, I've heard that. Um, actually, my colleague Anthony Lapopolo said he heard that when he went there, but it's probably bollocks, but it's a nice idea. Um, and... It's it's just um, you know just small businesses, um, good pubs, and I think a lot of people kind of you know especially after that Green Street film like to kind of say oh it's a bit rough, but I think people sometimes just use rough as a really offensive synonym for working class because like I I found the West Ham fans fantastic. I know that City and West Ham have a you know, have had traditionally a good relationship between the supporters anyway, but like I found the West Ham fans great, a great laugh in the pubs around the ground and stuff like that. And it's just like a, as I said, just a real community hub. And um, yeah, you say that maybe we'll go to London Stadium one day, but I, I, I can't have very much doubt it. I mean, what I've heard about there is like you kind of walk through like a shopping centre yeah. to get to the ground. It's like the, the the fans have never found their voice in there because it's just a very sparse stadium. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you mentioned it's, it's like a very swank shopping mall that you walk to the stadium and then there's the running track around it. And so it's just very, I mean, I, I'm not sure they've adjusted it for soccer, but it's massive and there's no real community feel to it. I went to and saw one of the uh, nights of the World Athletics Championships in 2017, mm-hmm. I think it was, and it's all very it's all very nice it's all very modern they've you know they've upgraded the area and all that but uh when you're coming from a a community like that where you know like you mentioned churches pubs houses and then there's a soccer stadium with you know 
chess pieces, the rooks at the uh, at, at the outsides of the ground is, uh, I, I the, to me they look like chess pieces, the big castle turrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 completely different. Yeah, and just the you know the statues of Bobby Moore and his uh, you know West Ham teammates, his fellow World Cup winners as well. It was just a real, you know, that was a great meeting place for the fans. And it's there, and like the other thing that like West Ham are actually, you know, we come off a season now where they play quite well. David Moyes has rebuilt his reputation. It's a quite a good team to watch, but I think all in all, it's been a real terrible few years for West Ham, and a lot of that comes down to the ownership. I mean, you got. David Sullivan and David Gold, who you know made their money in soft porn. Um, otherwise, <laughs> that otherwise, makes me laugh. Yeah, or otherwise known as the Dildo Brothers. Um, <laughs> and, and then you, and then you got you know Karen Brady, who I'd always been really, really impressed impressed with. Like she, you no, know, I'm pretty sure she was a chief executive at Birmingham City when she was like in her early twenties. Like she, mar- she married smart. She married Canadian international Paul Pescasolito. Exactly, and then sold him for Birmingham, which was amazing. Um, but um, like, like, so I'd I'd always been so impressed. Like, you know, she's basically spent a lot of her adult life in football, but she was so incredibly tone deaf and so blind to watch what they had at Upton Park when she talked about it. I mean, she in October the you know, the season they moved so like maybe about two months after they've been, to the sta- been in the new stadium and I'm pretty sure they'd been losing all the games there as well and the fans weren't liking it and she was talking about adding how they'd added London the word London to the football badge and how you know they'd been they'd moved, moved into a stadium that's uh, in the foothills of the financial sector like honestly she could have been talking about like a fashion brand you know changing its logo and, and moving its headquarters it was just so ridiculous and and the, the thing that upset me the most was she said she suggested that when they um her and the dildo brothers took over the club first of all they inherited a hundred million pounds worth of debt you know fair play from to sorting that out but on top of that she suggested that the club had no culture <laughs> and just like when you went to upton park that place was dripping in culture like this was like in the back basically a stadium in the backyards of this whole fan base and just, um, you know, with jelly deals being sold and all sorts, like, it was as cockney as it comes. It had, it was the most cultural stadium in the country. So, I, yeah, it's just, um, it was really sad to see how you know, West Ham have been the last few years. I do also know, I do also know that uh, your opinion of British conservative politicians, but we'll move on from that. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I'm also taken by that for sure. But um, you know the actual ground itself. I mean, you know, Gav. I mean, I I went. I could talk, go into the particulars of the game later, but just the um, it's just steeped in history, isn't it? You can feel it. I mean, I do think it is named after Amberlin, and then I think it was like an old, like potato field or cabbage patch. The stadium was built on. Like it was just a, it just suited the area. Like you can you can go into some you go to some stadiums like I know especially the new stadiums where you. You know, walking through shopping centres and stuff, but like you go to some stadiums and it kind of like looks a bit like an eyesore. So, like Tottenham's new ground, you know, beautiful new stadium, but like in the neighbourhood, it looks a bit like a spaceship. It looks a bit weird. Where Upton Park fit its local area, it was, yeah, as I said, it could have just been a village hall. You know, it's just like where people met up on a Saturday. It was just wonderful. 
Yeah. Oh, without question. So you were in the away supporters section, I assume, which is the, I believe that was the Sir Trevor Booking stand. Is that where you were? Or Trevor, sorry, Trevor Brooking stand. Pardon me. I, I'm not, I can't remember what the stand was called. I feel like they might have called it, named it after Sir Trevor Booking, maybe a year or two after as well. I'm not oh, too okay. sure. Right. Um, but, but I don't know if it was that stand or not. But um, yeah, I went in the away end. You no, know, City are... You know, like I don't really go into games at the Etihad Stadium can be a little bit quiet, um, a little bit too expectant sometimes. But I, I love going to City away games because the away crowd are always up for it. They're up for a day out. Like it's all about, you know, like we talk about about the day out more than the actual football itself. Um, so there's lots of chanting, lots of, uh, you know, laughs. There's a lot of excitement as well for this game. It's a really interesting time in City's history because it was like a few months before the takeover happened. And when City were owned by uh, Taxi and Shinawatra, or as the City fans call him, Frank Sinatra, because it's easier to pronounce. Um, like it, so, and at the time, I think uh, Taxi's, uh, sorry, Frank Sinatra's uh, assets had been frozen, um, so City was skinned, and uh, they loaned this player called Neri Castillo, who was this Mexican who had a lot of you know, potential. I think Man United tried to sign him years earlier as a youngster, but they couldn't get a work permit through, and. Um, he was so desperate to get out of Shakhtar Donetsk where he was and he got himself a bad reputation there that he paid a lot of his loan fee to come and play for City. So the City fans were thinking, you know, he paid he paid his transfer fee to play for Man City and there were like loads of City fans wearing sombreros and stuff like just like ready to welcome him in like it was a real like you know party atmosphere and uh, you know it was yeah as I said it was not time for the club because I think our best player at the time was either like Stephen Island or Martin Petrov um, it was before <laughs> the money came in it was like you didn't really know, where, you know we started that season well started going downhill around this time I think and yeah just a real mismatch mismatch of players and obviously after all this excitement um, you know after Martin Petrov you know, playing a great game as well that day obviously it ended up nil-nil so uh, so you <laughs> yeah, were in a replay <laughs> Yeah, it earned a replay, which I didn't attend. I cannot remember what happened, so it couldn't have been very good. <laughs> well, that's all right. You, you, you earned a replay, and when, you're, you know, when your owner has his assets frozen, I guess you need every, uh, every little dollar you can earn. Mm. Did, you, um, did you venture into a, um, a Neil and Pie shop when you were there by any chance? No. Uh, I went a year later. I was in 2009... Um, Arsenal against West Ham. Uh, I did not go in the away supporters section. I was just starting. Uh, this was right before I started a three-week work placement in school at the BBC World Service, which to this day remains maybe the three of the most fulfilling weeks of my life. Anyway, um, and the only thing I sort of had, I, I got a ticket on the other side at the Sir Bobby Moore stand, literally right in the corner, lower level, right near the corner flag. Um, and yeah, I think I just had a burger from outside before going in. I was this was all I'd only been previously been to um, uh, Highbury for a Premier League game years before 2006. So this was my first time back, and so still kind of green, kind of nervous. Yes, I'd seen in North America. It was called Green Street Hooligans. Just to make it, just to make it even more obvious what it's about. Well, exactly. You got to make Elijah yeah. Wood scary somehow, um, <laughs> and. Yeah, so I was I was a bit hesitant. Like, I, you know, if I had gone today, I'd be much more cavalier. Um, 
you know, and venturing out. But uh, yeah, so it was just a burger outside the ground before going in. So I think the traditional meal is jelly deals with a pie and then maybe some mash or maybe some uh, chips. But like, so it's it's really full on. But like, I'm pretty sure I just had a dirty burger from a van. But I think my dad made a mistake of purchasing his eels from a van as well, which is probably not a good <laughs> good idea. You should probably get them from a shop. Uh, if I remember rightly, I think he was absolutely repulsed by them. <laughs> I've seen my dad eat some weird stuff over the years. Like I've you know, dared him to eat eyeballs and all sorts, and he does it. Uh, like so, like, and he was repulsed because um, it kind of like um, they chop it up, don't they? So I think it's almost like um, like discs, I suppose. Um, and then they kind of like, when they kind of like cook it over time, all the natural proteins come out. And that's kind of what makes this kind of jelly texture, <laughs> which the whole process of the cooking just sounds disgusting. Well, that's, that's the ha- reputation you English have for food. I know, yeah, I, I would say partly unfair, partly fair. I, I do think the older generations boiled the flavor out of food, but I also do think that, Things have gotten uh, better. Yeah, yeah, I think... Um, you know th- things are pretty good and also you can't beat a chippy tea um but yeah i, I think um yeah the jelly deals thing like i've got a bit more adventures with my food over over the years and i i think i now you know what is it like 13 years after this game bloody hell um i probably <laughs> would try it but I, I would not expect that i'd like it hmm. like would you try it uh Honest, there, there, there's a limited list of things that I wouldn't try. So, if it's handed to me, I would see it as a cultural experience and probably try it. The only one of the few things I would not try is like in the Philippines, you can get eggs, but then you can also get like eggs where there's like kind of a chick forming inside. I believe I'm probably going to delete this because I'm probably wrong. No, um, no, it's true. Apparently, it's a bit of a bar snack in the Philippines um, where they just crack the egg and eat the uh, unhatched chick. Yeah, I will pint. not touch that. I've been to the Philippines, and I remember a friend told me she's like, "You get the eggs with this color shell because I think if they're like dyed red or something, that means there's the." One with the um yeah inside you want a weird bar snack yeah no. I, hey i i i thought pork scratchings were a little bit out there but uh <laughs> no that's uh, it sounds bloody horrible doesn't it i mean like when you um so what were you doing you know, in london otherwise when you went to this so you said you was yeah this was this was my first service. this was my first weekend there i had yet to start it was a i was in my second year at uh the british columbia institute of Institute of Technology in the Broadcast Journalism Program. Our second year is a mix of on-campus and off-campus rotations, where on-campus, where, you know, we're radio reporters, TV reporters, anchors, all that. We're, we're practicing our craft, essentially. But then there are sort of several week rotate, uh, you know, off campus where you're, they're essentially mini internships. And a lot of people, you know, stay close to home in the Vancouver newsrooms or, or whatever. Uh, but I applied to, there were openings for they just call them work experiences with the BBC. And I applied. I remember I wrote something and uh, I got an email back. I was literally on my first off-campus placement. I was at CBC Victoria. And I get this email saying, thank you for your, um, I can't remember what it was, but it was like an humorous application letter. And I went, was I making jokes in my letter? That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, and yeah, then they, then they, um, they extended the invitation. And I was there from... Um, late October until mid-November. So I had gotten in, I believe, 
Saturday. Um, they, I then went to a belated Canadian expat kind of Thanksgiving. I was staying with very old friends, actually my old Little League baseball coach and his wife, which was just amazing quiz they offered and it was like okay um and this expat thanksgiving thing was um it was great uh you know people just kind of people in finance but there was i remember running into two people and they're like yeah we're also going to the west ham arsenal game and we don't have tickets in the arsenal section but we're going to wear our jerseys and i'm like no you're not (laughs) no you're bloody well not uh because literally on the ticket it says you know no away colors um and uh, anyway, so yeah, it was a Sunday afternoon and I'm, I'm battling jet lag. So I took, you know, I, I took all day and I was out exploring. I went to the borough market and, um, that's on the South side of the Thames. Um, I, 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 again, London is just one of those places that you can poke around and explore and then you find the markets and, uh, you no two visits are the same. And, uh, it's been a few years since I, I, I still can't wait to go back whenever that may be. Anyway, so then I got myself out to, out to, I think it was, yeah, Upton Park and I, I walked by and the, uh, the Arsenal bus had just pulled in. And so I'm like, holy shit, that's the Arsenal bus. And, um, yeah, I, I just found out that the, uh, the, 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 the little turrets, the little castles outside the stadium are because, uh, West Ham United took up residency from the Bowen ground from local club Bolin Castle in 1904 after the two clubs amalgamated. So I just think they look like two big chess pieces. But anyway, um, yeah, and it was my first experience with uh, really with, you know, you can't drink in the stands at UK Stadium. So people were standing behind uh, the stands just drinking and watching Manchester United and Liverpool. And I don't think they liked either team because they were cheering whenever a, I think players from either side got red carded and they cheered for both of them um and uh yeah and then like i said i was not in the away section but i was down in the corner of the bobby moore stand and i think i've got the arsenal lineup that day um let's see vito manone in goal and then wow. it was abu diaby bakary sanya sesk fabregas thomas vermalen william gallus robin van percy alex song gail cliche andre arshavin and emmanuel abue and arsenal went up two nil and then blew the lead and so each time, yep. each time West Ham scored, um, I would just sort of turn with my camera and pretend to be taking pictures. That was my excuse for really not cheering. And of course, I you know couldn't cheer when Arsenal lead was leading. And then that's where I was introduced to the chant two 0 and you fucked it up. Yeah, well, that's very on brand Arsenal, and that was a really weird Arsenal team, wasn't it? Because that was um, like you know a couple of years after being invincible, it's like a. Henri went and stuff like that, and they kind of try and rebuild. Ah, oh, Shavin had that absolute monstrous debut against uh, well, Liverpool. Didn't that they? that's almost ruined him for because he wasn't a huge goal scorer. But when he scored four goals against Liverpool, suddenly there's the expectation that he could never live up to. And people said he was lazy and uninterested. I just was firm in the belief that that's the way he looked when he played. He was just sort of gliding around the pitch, and uh, it was just the way he carried himself. I was always a fan. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think uh, it was great. I mean, there's Robin Van Persie right in front of me, though, taking a corner kick, and it was quite wild. And I remember taking um, a picture of one of the um, one of the ushers or whatever, because the guy, he has this big neon yellow jacket that says pitch rescue and there are a bunch of them with their pitch rescue jackets on and his was 007 and i'm like ooh, they must fight for that jacket every time they'd be like "Ooh, i'm 007 today <laughs> and pitch rescue what's pitch rescue i don't know I'm, I'm guessing stretcher bears or 
you know, security uh. or, or what have you. But um, the one other thing I do remember now that it, this might be my memory skewing things, but you know, leaving the ground, going back to the tube. Of course, there was a long line of of fans leaving. It moved relatively quickly, and I remember. Uh, are, how familiar are you with Arsenal fan TV? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like it, it was it's when it kind of was massive a few years ago. Oh, we used to watch God. it work quite a lot for laughs. Oh dear God! Um, anyway, Rob, oh no, I have to say, Robbie seems like quite a nice guy. I think it's just the guys he has aren't with him. Yeah, they're. Well, speaking mm-hmm. of which, when we were lining up, there was an Arsenal fan decked out all in Arsenal stuff, and he was just getting into it with West Ham fans, like just yelling, you know, they're comparing, and he's shouting, I'm like, dude, why? And I swear it's that guy with, like, the the uh, headphones wherever he goes. Oh, yeah, I can't remember his name now. He, he Although he seemed like a bit, I don't know, obviously he kind of uh, looked like he kind of put loads of glue on himself and ran through the club shop but like otherwise he seemed he seemed like um he seemed like not as aggressive and complain you know as moany as the rest of them <laughs> yeah but he he sort of act, you know he does the whole we thing and this and that and it's just like dude you're not a part of the team you just apparently give them all of your money <laughs> mhm the we the we thing is like um it's it's definitely a, a British thing because, like, even even if you look at like um, social media accounts now and stuff like that, it always refers to the club. I know the Chelsea do and City definitely do as we and stuff like that. And I, and I I think certainly when I was growing up, I refer to the City as we all the time. And I I think maybe the North American influence. I don't do it, really do it anymore. I'm not sure. I mean, I work at you know working at CP24, which is at heart a news station. Whenever they mm-hmm. do talk about the Leafs or the Jays or the Raptors, the talent, the on-air talent who are news people first, and they do say, "Hey, what do we have to do?" And it's just you know, it, I, the journalist in me is the one that goes, "Okay, I'm not a part of this team. It's they and them." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it's closed now. I think it's going to be. Uh, a development of some kind, whether or not it's done, I'm not sure, but I thought there was an urban legend going around that part of it was blown up to be one of the Bond films, in a Bond film for like a realistic special effect, but I'm not sure if that ever happened, because I know like it was part of a Dave Batista movie, a low-budget action movie, I think in 2018, but I a, it might just be an urban legend that it was used in a, a Bond movie. Who's Dave Batista? Uh, well, he was a wrestler. He was Batista, and then he was, uh, if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy, he was uh, Groot. No, not Groot. He was um, Drax. Um, he's been in a lot of things. He was most recently in Army of the Dead on Netflix. Your film knowledge is pretty good, Gav, to be no, fair. No, it's not. Like it's, I... it's terrible. Uh, but I'm sure if you if you Googled his name, you would recognize him. But yeah, he's, he's sort of broken away from professional wrestling and is is gone into more you know movie making okay i've seen how much money the rock's making he's just trying to follow his lead and like uh and john cena tried to be like a kind of like um dollarama schwarzenegger but he's kind of failed on that well one. and then when he apologizes to people in china and said oops sorry i said taiwan's a country that uh that's that's how you ingratiate yourself to the chinese but maybe not to uh anyone in north america <laughs> dear me no that's not good at all no I, I, what, I, and wasn't there like a um, no because the, the official last game at the ground they, they, I think they 
they managed to sneak into Europe, West Ham, and I think they might have kicked United out of the Champions League, maybe. Uh, well, it does. I mean, the last game was against Man United, a 3-2 win, so I would not doubt that. May 2016, May 10th, so, uh, oh man, wouldn't that have been special? But, uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think of, of who was there. Here, let me hang on, let me get my program. So I still have my match day program. I keep my programs. And there's a front page startle on Jack Collison coming of age. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. And then there was, yeah, there was uh, Valon Berami. I remember the Swiss international was playing. Robert Green was with West Ham at the time. I do remember Jonathan Spector, the American, was uh, got the start that day. But yeah, Kieran Dyer, Scott Parker, Mark Noble. Uh, yeah, Zavon Hines, Carlton Cole, Dean Ash. Ashton, oh Dean Ashton, yeah, there was a, that was a good time. Dean Ashton was so unlucky with injuries because he had a rocket shot. He was a quality player. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just reminding myself of the, uh, the closing ceremony as well after the win over United because I remember before the game there was controversy because I think the West Ham fans tried to unsettle the United players so we're throwing stuff at the bus and I think it might have smashed a window. <laughs> um, it got a little bit too lively. And I remember there was this thing like, why did they direct the bus down Green Street? And I'm pretty sure that's the only way to send the bus down there because that basically takes you to, to the front door of the stadium. Um, so I think every single bus went that way. Yeah. Um, but then the, the closing ceremony, I think it was like quite weird if I remember right. I was, I was watching it... Um, in a pub in Glossop, um, and I, I always remember these small details of where I'm watching matches that don't really matter much for some reason. But um, it was like a, there was like a laser show. Um, all the all the lights are off at the stadium. There's a laser show going on, and then they they started bringing on all these legendary um, West Ham players in um, West Ham themed black cabs onto the pitch, <laughs> which was like just like so wonderfully tacky, and may, maybe it was part of uh, you know Karen Brady's rebranded the club to kind of more strongly align them with uh, with London but it was quite wonderful and um, and I think maybe this was the one where they, they snuck into Europe it wasn't a Champions League it would have been a Europa League and I think they might have got kicked out I'm pretty sure consecutive years or at least two out of three years they got kicked out of the qualification rounds of the Europa League by a team called Astra Giraju who I think are, who I think are Romanian which is again we talk about the on-brand Arsenal as well. That's very on-brand for West Ham there as well. Just uh, all this hope, and then it just comes crashing down. Yeah. Oh man. Um, did you did you get tons of time around the ground? Because you mentioned a few of the things around there. No, not not as much time as I'd like. I mean, like you know, you, you look at the the, um, you know, the eel and pie shops and the small businesses. We we stopped off at a few pubs because we had like a, a local you no know, contact there who was a, a you know kind of a a displaced Man City fan. So we met up with him and he knew a couple of the boozers and that's where we were just chatting to all the West Ham fans. And you no, know, you, you know you would get your you know, your chain pubs where they kind of got like the most, you know, the most coldest beer known to man there. But it, you could also get, you know, a good pint of London Pride around the ground. And these 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 pubs would be, you know, full of carrots that stood there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And you do worry about, um, you know, how many of these pubs and shops have survived since the, since the uh, club up sticks and mm. moved on. I mean, that's the first thing that I remember is that I walked around a little bit, but I was very much, let's just get into the ground, let's get to my seat, you know. And I remember there was just this pub on the corner that when you think of British pub, it was every single stereotype. And I know now that 
you know, play people, companies like Green King are essentially, you know, homogenizing them all. And, um, or what's the word that was used in, uh, the world's end, starbucking it, making them all look the same with the fake chalkboard writing and, and the same beers and the same menu. But this one, pretty sure there was no Green King yet. And uh, it was, you know, I stood outside and I'm like, okay, this is, this is a proper pub. And um, it is one of those things where, you know, when people go to London and the great cities, they you know, unless you're going for soccer, I can't imagine many tourists going out that far. And um, it, it felt like maybe the most authentic experience soccer wise that I've had, like purely English soccer. This was it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's it because when people, you know, people at my work say who are like, you know, say if they write on baseball or NFL or whatever, and they say, oh, I want to have like a really authentic experience, you know, should I go and watch Arsenal play? And I'm just like, no, like, no, don't like, no, just like go and watch. If you do it, you you can do it properly, but most fans don't when they go to a place like Arsenal. But I'll I'll get into more than that in a second. Sorry, you say yours. Yeah, because they don't they don't go to like the proper pubs and they and because because the Arsenal's grounds are actually in a good neighbourhood. Like it does have that feel. Like it's the stadium's not my favourite, but like where it is, <laughs> it's great. But like you know, if you go into London, like go and watch Kingstonian play or something like that. You know, go and watch like a proper lower league ground where people you know they live for that thing or. You know, just or if you want kind of a comfortable experience, but maybe a bit of a historic experience, maybe go and watch Fulham. If you want an experience that is a bit grittier, maybe go and watch Millwall. Like you, but you can have these real, authentic experiences. You don't need to go to a Premier League stadium to achieve that a lot of the time. And uh, yeah, and Upton Park though was a rarity, and it was a Premier League stadium of a very, very famous club, but probably one of the most important cultural. You know, items in football history for a long time and it's so so sad that it's gone and you know it's one of the things in this you know government-led review that's going on after the Super League that you know maybe these clubs are protected a little bit more as cultural institutions that they are rather than just um, you know sporting franchises which you know in the UK they aren't yeah well I mean yeah you I, I just getting back to to the Emirates and Arsenal, I can just about guarantee you, most tourist fans going to a game will get off the Arsenal tube stop, take a right, come out, and go right to the stadium. But you go the other way, and then of course you visit Highbury, you go to the Gunners Pub, or um, you know any sort of pubs. You go up the High Street, and I do love Islington. It's one of you know it's a it's a place that I'm very comfortable with, and despite the fact that I've never lived there, it's one of many places around the world that I sort of feel like I'm at home and then you go, you know, you go to a fish and chip stand or uh, any of that. But yeah, I mean, if, but, and then of course, hell, I do have to say Pyberry Corner, which uh, uh, if you're going for a pregame pie, Pyberry Corner is the place to go. They're named after Arsenal players. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just something changes when you, when you only go to the, the big grounds, the big stadiums, you're not, not getting the uh, authentic experience, and um, the other stadium that that comes to mind is um, is uh, Queens Park Rangers. When you go to Loftus Road, it's uh, you know you go into White City, that part of London, and you know it's you're in a neighborhood, and then suddenly there's a soccer stadium there. Yeah, I've never done Loftus Road, but I absolutely love to. One thing that I uh, was really interesting because I went to go and watch. Um, Barcelona B once over the road from Camp Nou before I went to Camp Nou after the game and watched one straight after and uh, Barcelona B Stadium is apparently based on Loftus Road it's like a it's like a I don't know if they've moved ground now but like certainly the one that was over the road from the Camp Nou it's like a 25,000 seater 
And I'm pretty sure it's just very open to the fact that it was kind of like based on the kind of intricate surroundings of the of, of Lost's Road, which I thought was really cool. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I mean, it's I have walked by it because that same BBC work placement, um, most of it was at a place called Bush House, which was on the Strand, which is, you know, you're right near all the West End theaters. This was before they moved to New Broadcast House, which is uh, a little further away. But that's where... World Service Radio was on the Strand. Now it, they did some TV out at uh, the old TVC, the TV Central, uh, which is right near Loftus Road. That, they've since shut de- that shut down that uh, big old famous BBC broadcast TVC uh, and moved a lot of it up to Manchester. But anyway, so that was my experience with it, where I did kind of get to walk around and you know, I'm looking through through people's backyards, and it's like, okay, there's part of the stand and. Um, Anyway, I think I mentioned the the inspiration for well, not the inspiration. A person who has mentioned newspapers on seats. I believe I told you my um, uh, my cure for car sickness, which was in Dominica, which was to put a newspaper on a seat, which is not mm-hmm. how we initially came up with this the idea for the name of our show. Um, but that was a guy named Nick London who's done many FIFA World FIFA World Cup events as a as a commentator. He actually does. Uh, the in-house, the club uh, broadcasts of QPR. He's their play-by-play man, a very nice guy. And so uh, I've told him that, I, that one day I would love to, to get in a game at Loftus Road, but that's, that's, that'll be a whole other time. <laughs> well, hopefully that's one of our future recorders when we actually go to a game. Like, honestly, Gav, like I'm hoping to get to the UK later this year. I'm eyeing up a trip to Accrington, which is long overdue because I messaged with the chairman there quite a bit and there's a few others I mean, maybe I could come back and talk about Glossop North End my mum's local team because I you know, love going to see what's your game there as well but I know travel's on the horizon now oh, Gav. Yes and we're starting to think about the possibility I you know December and Christmas and potentially going home to BC and oh my we're uh, we're almost there so hopefully uh, everyone can, can just see us over the finish line and be safe. Yes yeah and also um People listen to this. If you've been to go and watch your country at a major tournament, let us know because we've been there. It's, it's kind of like that time of year now. We've got um, the under twenty one Euros on right now. We've got the Euros proper on. We've got Nations League. We've got um, World Cup qualifiers. Nations, World Cup qualifiers, and you know, obviously your uh, Copper America. Like it's all going on. So, like if you've watched your country at a major tournament, we would like to talk to you. Um, we might be getting my mate Timmy on for the next episode to talk about his tip, uh, trip watching Croatia around France, which would be, you know, he's a good storyteller, a good lad, so we're looking forward to that. But if you've been, let us know, and uh, you know, we'd love to hear your stories for sure. And with that appeal put out, Dan, should we wrap a bow around another one? Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that one. It was a, I feel like there's absolutely no structure to that chat at all, but they're the best ones, aren't they? Well, that's it. I mean, since the stadium doesn't exist anymore, we're kind of left to our own devices. Yeah, exactly. They just, you know, just pick up the pieces of the rubble and see what we can put together. And yeah, that's how it is on newspapers on seats. That is. We're proud of that. Anyway, yes. <laughs> thanks again for joining us, everybody. Uh, I'm Gavin. He's former Hallam FC board member Dan Rouse. And uh, <laughs> we'll talk again soon.